today in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast in part two of your week in IndyCar listener Q&A. Why is there two parts and why have we had two parts for many, many weeks now, if not more than a month? Because y'all are sending in a ton of questions, many of which are great. So we want to try and do our best to cover all the questions that we can in a period of time that isn't 14 or 15 hours long. So kidding aside, love doing these part twos. They tend to come a little bit later in the week. And so if we didn't get your questions answered in round one, well, here we are ready to try and do that in round two. Two quick things to mention. First practice at the Harvest Grand Prix is due to start in what? A little over half an hour, which means I have a little over half an hour to knock out part two. And also, I don't know why I keep saying we, because it's me. So there you go. But hey, whatever. Thank you, as always, to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, and to you for sending in these fun questions. Before we get to the first, I want to throw in one item that I have heard now from multiple sources, very credible sources, piggybacking on what we discussed at the open of the first part of the listener Q&A this week on Zach Veach. Been told since we recorded that, main reason used to let Zach go, call it an excuse if you want to, photos he posted doing rock climbing and the team using those images to support a standing down on a breach of, I don't know exactly how you would term it, but non-endangerment and such, those types of clauses are not uncommon with top-tier athletes. Teams, whether it's racing, stick and ball, or otherwise, don't want to see you hang gliding, uh, swimming with sharks, doing things that might endanger yourself and prevent you from performing whatever sporting act you are contractually obligated to do. And if you are found to do such a thing, team tends to give themselves a number of ways to cover themselves in the event of danger or injury. Zach obviously did not harm himself while rock climbing, one of his true passions in life. But I've been told now by multiple credible sources that this was the wedge. This was the item used to get him out of the car. Not saying that going rock climbing and posting those photos were worthy of being pulled out of the car. But if you are looking for a contractual lever to do so, I'm told that this was indeed the lever that was pulled. Zach Beach is no longer an IndyCar driver. So, uh, yeah, if I had a 40, I'd pour some out for the kid right now. Let's get going with your questions here. I'll do as many as I can. We're going to start with a cluster on Oliver Askew in the situation where he is not driving this weekend for Errol McLaren SP for medical reasons. Start off with Paul Trahan. It's safe to assume that Oliver Askew has been racing with concussion-related injuries since Indy 500. Does him not telling his team now put him in a bad light with the team? Should he have been more upfront about his injuries? Simon Rafi says, any information on Oliver's issues two weeks ahead of this Harvest GP race seemed like a rather early early point for a substitution. Uh, Zachary Bertram says, how does Askew manage to get by the concussion protocols? Will IndyCar be looking at this? Uh, or is the driver ultimately responsible for being honest? 
And then the fourth and final, Ed Joris, getting back to ask you, does any car have a protocol that drivers who absorb a certain G-load in a crash must go through concussion testing? If not, why not? So have sought answers to your question, Ed, and a little bit to yours, Zach, have not been placed in contact with the correct person at IndyCar yet, and I don't know if I will. I've asked. It's their option to make that happen or not. couple things here. We always start the show with some sort of bigger item to visit with for a little bit uh, before we rattle through others at a high rate of speed. I only have, I don't want to say one side of things. I have a lot of points of information on this continuing to seek more have been promised more uh one of those is at least five days behind in delivering so we will see really do need to state from the outset i hate this i hate this scenario for oliver this is a kid who as you've heard me say 10 or 20 times on the show over the past year he should absolutely be an indycar champion within the coming years I'm confident he has that amount of talent. But let's get back to the issue at hand here. I believe that I either tweeted, said on the show, wrote something, whatever it was, I don't recall, but uh, after his Indy 500 crash, something looked off with him in his interview. And I don't know if I said something about that in one of his earlier crashes as well, but I do recall that While I won't pretend to say that I knew he had a concussion, I can just tell you that it was clear to me that there was something from a cognitive standpoint that looked a little bit off. It didn't jump out, though, at least through the television screen, as being something that was going to be lingering in an ongoing problem. It's not like I'm a doctor or know these things, just you know people who've experienced heavy crashes seen them happen with drivers in my own teams that I've worked for in the past, you know that look, you know that little signal delay from the brain to the mouth. And again, I'm sure plenty of you can spot such things rather easily as well. Things just looked a little bit off. Since I haven't been traveling this year, it's not as if I've been able to get close to Oliver to see and talk in person to do the Let me match what your eyes are doing to your mouth and just get that feel. I've spoken to him a number of times, uh, and what he and his teammate Pato Ward were dual guests on the podcast not too long ago. But all that stuff aside, I can't tell you exactly how things went down between the symptoms that he was feeling, how and when those things were or were not conveyed to the team and how the team did or did not take action as a result. I know that on Oliver's side, through a article with the AP, there has been given a very definite belief that he was proactive and his team was not receiving and reactive to what he was saying so that's one side obviously you want both sides before you can say aha he's 100 percent correct 50 percent correct 50 percent wrong 100 percent wrong i can't make that claim because i'm still waiting on and gathering 
both sides to try and figure out what this is. I can tell you that the ongoing lingering effects, Simon Rafi, that you asked about, um, we know because we've seen this with drivers in the past, but I'd say more probably NFL football players, uh, football players in general, knowing the hard hits that they take, a lot of them helmet to helmet. We have seen players experience a concussion or concussion-like symptoms, feel something, but not necessarily feel totally knocked for a loop, and have these symptoms expand in the days and weeks that follow. We've had some worst-case-type concussions, the nasty ones where not only is it clear that they just experienced a devastating-type concussion, but those in those instances, we've seen two weeks, three weeks, five weeks more where, holy cow, uh, the brain, as we know, <laughs> it's not exactly a linear thing where we can say, you have a grade such and such concussion, you will be good to go in X amount of days. It's an individual thing and a bit of a mysterious thing. So with Oliver experiencing what appear to be concussion-like symptoms, towards the middle-ish of August, uh, third week of August, not a total surprise if these things would linger and not clear up on their own uh, in a short amount of time, leaving us here more than a month later with it still being an issue. Coming back to the questions about protocol on the IndyCar side, IndyCar was also thrown under the bus a bit uh, based on the interview. To my knowledge, there is no automatic scenario, meaning you had a crash, you are therefore either based on G threshold or just it's a automatic thing where if you have a crash, you go to whatever infield care center at whatever event, and you also are subjected to uh, concussion tests as well. So I am unaware of those things being tied together. I think they are situational. I am curious and will be curious to learn if this is changed. I do know that you know there is an element of the driver not just being transparent, and I'm not saying Oliver wasn't. I again, cannot make any positive or negative comments on that topic. But I do know from what I have been told and told and told that we sort what we do uh, based on what we see in front of us. And could that become a stronger thing, a more, hey, if you hit the wall, if you whatever, who knows, any reason, your motor blows. <laughs> and we still put you in the ambulance and take you to the infield care center where you're going through concussion protocol testing as well. Could that become such a thing? I don't know, but it would not totally surprise me to see some modifications in light of what looks like Oliver slipping through the cracks a little bit. Let's get to the real item at hand here. And this is the, I don't need to know who was right, who was wrong, who said what, when, whether people did or did not listen. For where we're at now, just not talking about Oliver's health, 
but talking about Oliver's future, this is the key thing, the key takeaway. I have heard from three people now, three smart, well-placed people, uh, folks who are in the know. They have all said they are very concerned about Oliver's future with the team based on his comments that pointed to the team not listening, not being responsive, having to seek his own uh, doctor's advice and care. The key takeaway I've been told over and over again is that kid received the worst possible advisement from his management to do that. Not so much holding him accountable. He's still a truly a kid, early 20s, a pup. The advisors are the ones that I have been told over and over again, really, truly screwed up for advising him to do that in print with a powerful organization well, how's this with any organization, but with a very powerful organization like the AP, this is something that if we're talking NFL yet again, whenever there is some sort of problem between the team and one of its players and a head coach is asked, the comment you normally get is, that's between us and the player. That That's between us as a team we're keeping this in the locker room thanks for asking but we are not inviting you the media or the outside world and fans we're not inviting you into our locker room to air whatever dirty laundry we're going to keep this in-house and using that we are either a team or not a team approach And if we are a team, we're keeping this in-house and we are not airing dirty laundry in public. Separate from, again, right, wrong, who said what, didn't do what. The takeaway here, career-wise, is, holy cow, you just put the team in a position through terrible advice, which now forces them to defend themselves against their rookie driver in print, in public, in otherwise. This is where things are worrisome about Oliver's future based on what I've been told again and again is bad advice on what to say, just to say it in general, to speak out publicly instead of going to the team and saying, hey, I've had to go and find my own doctor Doctor has said, yeah, there's some issues here. IndyCar Medical has said, yep, issues here. You are not cleared to race. Uh, I am going to say whatever critical upset things I have to say to you all directly, but I'm going to keep this in-house. And for being a good team player, I would like to be rewarded with a contract extension or something along those lines. These are very common things in sports. Hey, I could blow things up if I wanted to, but I'm not. And 
as a result, I want you to give something back to me. Absolutely normal. That isn't what happened, though. And so we have this really and truly unfortunate situation where because of the route that has been taken, we have a team that is now feeling the need to defend itself, having been called into question in terms of care and process and all kinds of things. When a young driver who is not in a position of strength, holding 18th place, leaving the last rounds at Mid-Ohio, even though we certainly would be, uh, it would not be strange to believe that these ongoing concussion-related symptoms have affected his ability to be as effective as he was previously. You have a situation where, sadly, you have a driver who is not in a position of strength, is a rookie, and appears to have spoken out of turn, which has put the team on high alert. And instead of drafting in a replacement for the weekend that I'm sure we would all say, oh, yeah, that's a good driver. He or she's been doing this for a while. They have whatever track record. Everything will be good. Uh, But clearly they are just minding the store until Oliver can get back. No, they have brought in arguably the biggest name, if not one of the biggest names, uh, in modern IndyCar history. One of the fan favorites. We obviously know he's a three-time Indy 500 winner, but we also know the guy's won, what, 24 races, polls like you wouldn't believe. This is a hardcore player that they have brought in to substitute, but also someone who as some of you may recall, when the Aero McLaren SP team last year's Aero SPM was preparing to reboot itself, uh, thinking about drivers to do it with, Elio was one of those names before Pato was signed, before Oliver was signed, a guy that had had discussions that was circulating uh, within the realm of possible folks to hire didn't happen, obviously, but we know for sure that he was on their radar. Well, now, first opportunity to try something new. Who did they go to? A guy who was already on their radar. A big name, and I'd say beyond name and wins and all these things, as I wrote about here on Racer, the guy's experience, all the things he knows and has learned, all the processes, all the ways of doing things, that the Aero SPM team, Aero McLaren SP team doesn't have, right? They've got some great people working for them. They don't have anybody that is driver-grade Penske 20-year veteran. Absolutely not. That's no discredit to them. This is just a massive upgrade in experience, knowledge, all areas that they've never had. So, There's part of me that wishes they had gone and hired whomever to stand in for these two races where we would say, oh, yeah, uh, this is just a temporary thing. There is no real threat of that person being asked to stay and keep the seat. They brought in a guy who they were already thinking about beforehand and 
certainly if things go as well as I think they will this weekend, I don't think they're going to have any question as to whether they want to keep him uh, long-term for at least a year afterwards. So this is where the situation is bad. I'll just reiterate what, what I think two of those three people that I mentioned uh, have said as well. How sad will it be if this kid with so much promise, so much potential, finds himself as an ex-IndyCar driver based on terrible advice from those who are advising him on how to approach the situation? I am not aware of him doing anything wrong in terms of seeking the best health care for himself and being proactive in that manner. This is all about how do you process this and how do you do it in a public or private manner? And the fact that it has become public and unsavory and calling the teams everything into question. This is a very vain team, by the way. I mean, probably the most vain in the series. It, as There is Instagram model <laughs> as you come. All about the glitz and the shine and the flash. And right, you'd knock a tiny bit of polish off and... Man, they do not react well to it. And this is a significant amount of polish potentially being knocked off. And IndyCar as well, calling their medical procedures into question. And I'm not making claims as to whether they're right, it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's a lot of heat to bring on yourself, especially when you're not in a position of strength with a multi year contract and no cut contract, strong position in the championship. This is really tough. So uh, if indeed bad advisement turns Oliver Askew into an ex-IndyCar driver, and I don't know how many other teams would come calling to try and hire him next year, I'm unaware of him bringing a significant budget to entice any team, this is going to be a tragedy, y'all. An IndyCar-based tragedy. Uh, Let's see. Let's rattle on here. Possible replacement talk as well. Matthew Featherman, MP, I believe, read somewhere, racer possibly, yes, correct, uh, that Andretti is potentially lining up Santino Ferrucci as a plan B if they cannot get Ryan Hunter Ray and DHL aligned for continuation in the 28 Honda. Just curious to hear your thoughts on this one. So this was our man Robin Miller's story, not my own. Um, had been aware and written, I think, that, yeah, the DHL thing is really in question. And... While that is the team's sponsor, right? It's been associated with Ryan Hunter Ray for 10 years plus, but this was the team's sponsor. And if they don't have that in place, how do they pay for Ryan to continue racing? Oh, that's a hard question. So if we don't have a primary sponsor, be it DHL or HLD or whomever, that's a serious problem. So I know I've written about that. We've mentioned it here on the show. Ryan Hunter Ray, right? Longest tenured driver, champion, Indy 500 winner, all of these things. Definitely one of the, the team leaders from the cockpit. How do you make sure that there is money behind that 28 Honda for him to continue? He's in need of a contract as well, as you mentioned. And yes, Based on Robin's reporting, the team has indeed reached out to at least Santino. 
I would assume Santino isn't the only one, but the the bombshellish information here from Robin's reporting is before the season's even over, the team is reaching out to see if they can find one of IndyCar's known paying drivers to take over and pay for the pleasure of being in Ryan Hunter Ray's seat. Now, that's maybe not what I would have expected with three races left to go. I know that we're talking about the season's going to be over, uh, what, 24 days from now? So it's not like there's a ton of time left in the year, but that was the big thing that struck me as a holy cow-type moment, Matthew, of, oh, uh, of course, now that we have the new 2021 schedule, we do know for sure exactly when next season is going to start. We know that uh, while this has been a very crazy and a little bit of a uh, an off-putting year and whatnot, we know for sure when next season is going to start. We have a very firm idea of the time between then and now. So why is this push happening so early before we've even gotten to the off-season? Isn't there time to keep searching to keep him? So this is where things just get a little bit odd. I would have expected, knowing that we have November, December, January, and so on, to theoretically keep hunting for sponsors and make sure that Ryan Hunter Ray returns. I am not the team, can't speak for their goals and ambitions, but knowing that by late September, they're already searching for someone to pay to drive that car next year. Maybe it speaks to the general feeling they've gotten in the marketplace as to whether there are enough sponsors ready and willing to do that, assuming that DHL won't be back, which is, again, what I've heard, what we've written, what we've said for a little while now. So know from what Robin conveys that uh, this is not something Santino will be doing. Uh, I believe I mentioned on part one of this week's uh, listener Q&A that the asking price is approximately double of what Santino brings to coin right now. So if there's nobody ready to step in right now and the asking price is not too insignificant, we've heard something in the $4 million range, who's out there ready and willing to go? Uh, does that line up with the amount Connor Daly might be able to offer. Again, I don't know. Don't know. But business, uh, the, the business is open, and we will see what kind of business gets done here. Strange, Matthew, to know that one of IndyCar's big three could be undergoing some fairly significant driver changes all at the same time. What will they look like when we come back in 2021? I know some of you have asked that. So uh, getting close to the end of the episode here, let's rattle on through them. Ryan Terpstra says, Aaron McLaren SP, Chip Ganassi Racing, and Penske are all currently projecting an additional entry in 2021. How many do you think end up happening for a full season? Uh, Penske's fourth car, again, that's everything that's in the works and happening. For it not to happen, it would have to undergo a significant change of plans. That's everything that I know. It's happening. Scott McLaughlin is going to be their fourth driver next year, period, done. 
If that doesn't happen, something unique will have taken place to alter those plans. Mentioned here in the show as well, Jimmy Johnson, Chip Ganassi Racing, signed a deal saying, hey, we want to go racing together, just need to find the money. That deal puts the financial responsibility on Jimmy's side to find those dollars. I am confident, they are confident that he will, but this isn't a case of Ganassi having money and saying, Jimmy, come drive our car. This is them saying, we want to do this, but Jimmy, you're going to need to pay for it. We think that's going to happen. Aaron McLaren SP, they tell me that they have enough money for a third car, not full-time, but part-time. Could that become full-time? Potentially. Again, we're not even into the off-season, but I think all three are going to happen. And as I wrote about some of the other teams looking to expand, Meyer Shank Racing wanting to go to a second car for select rounds next year, Brian Reinbold being around more often, it's looking like we're going to have a pretty decent grid at this stage of the year. Let's go to our pal Jeremiah Morell and Jamie Rowe talking about lineups. Best guess as of today, knowing it's a moving target. How many Andretti Autosport seats are there still in 2021? Who is in them? Same question for Aaron McLaren SP. Andretti, uh, let's see. Marco Andretti will be there. Colton Herter will be there. Alexander Rossi will be there in the other two seats. Again, it would be a shock, but I'm prepared for the shock of Ryan Hunter Ray not being back. And we know obviously that Zach Veach will not be returning. Connor Daly, I've mentioned, I think there's a decent chance of him ending up in one of those cars. Also think the good old mayoral candidate from Toronto, also known as James Hinchcliffe, looking like he's in a stronger position to be able to return to being a full-time driver there as well. So what I don't know of is are there serious players from other teams with funding that might want to move over there or are there outside drivers altogether name whomever that's not going back to their formula one seat or whatever, whatever uh, that we think might be available and could they slot in? These are the questions I don't have answers to yet, uh, Jeremiah. But yeah, uh, I would say Hinch and Connor definitely stand out as two of the top candidates to fill at least one of the seats, uh, if not uh, both seats. Jamie Rowe, your questions pretty much straightforward. So I think that's covered off with Jeremiah's. Uh, let's see, Jordan Darwin, you ask, what's the thought process behind the late afternoon Friday race saying it's puzzling. Keep in mind, this was originally an intercontinental GT weekend. There's and there's alone at the speedway and IndyCar has had to shoehorn themselves in. So while the intercontinental folks have been very kind, this is their weekend. So would just say that the odd schedule Thursday through Saturday IndyCar portion, it's just having to improvise, my man. Uh, Lori Carter. Hey there, Lori. How are you? Uh, the high in Indy for Friday is currently 57. That's uh, Indiana, so that'll probably change. But what's the coldest the cars can run on the road course? Yeah, spoke with Robin Miller this morning, and he said not only is it cold, but it's windy as well, super windy. IndyCar has a, I don't want to call it 50-50 leading to 100 thing, but they do have this 
go no go deal that says they must reach the number 100 before cars are released that being at minimum uh 100 total combined between track temperature and ambient so if it is 53 degree track temp and 47 ambient and they get to 100 great or something there thereabouts uh obviously they would prefer things to be more equal of a split in that 100 number than <laughs> i don't know how exactly we would get 20 degree track temp 80 ambient but 100 is what they're looking for uh nicholas rogers hey nicholas not sure if i remember you sending in questions before if so i apologize for forgetting said another weather related question what effect should we expect the chilly temperatures for this weekend to have on firestone tires uh mentioned that his first indy 500 1992 the coldest on record quite a crash fest should we expect similar problems on the road course uh then you also ask what teams do to compensate for less grip and run crazy high downforce change tire pressures etc well they're not running insane downforce because we have this big long front straight and a fairly long back straight where top speed matters so with the cooler thicker air they're already going to be making more downforce in that regard but yeah it's a tire pressure thing it's also something where running the alternates uh, more than the primaries could end up being the hot trick but when you do not expect track temperature and ambient temperature and friction uh, in those hotter conditions to be the thing that helps inflate the tires, more heat, inflating the balloons, you will definitely start out with higher tire pressures knowing that that's going to be the thing you need to do to get to that target optimal pressure. Uh, and that's, again, just from past experience, it's one of the things I love most while being a race engineer and that was tires and having to target and predict what was needed with your starting temps to get them to that optimal pressure uh so yeah and teams are pretty darn good at it so i think they're going to be okay i don't foresee a 1992 repeat here uh again we have downforce we have skilled drivers we have good tires these are all things that should in theory make things not an issue famous last words of course uh so be sure to refer to this if everything i just said turns out to be wrong and it's a crash fest uh matt philpot hey there matt uh talking about weather again curious about the coldest event i've been involved in whether it was lights irl or indycar and then how teams deal with it oh boy i got to admit i'm struggling a bit to recall this i do recall a brutal test in indy lights i think in 96 where we went to portland maybe it was off season of 95 uh with our two drivers mark hotchkiss and dave de silva but whatever it ended up being we were thinking that going to portland which is one of the rounds uh indy lights rounds was going to be a smart thing to test and this would have been again 95 96 where the internet was alive but smartphones weren't and just constant ability to always know what the weather was at all times really wasn't a thing uh so yeah i could just tell you that we got there and we went across the street to the gi joe's i think it was gi joe's there might have been a sporting goods store next to it and everyone bought quadruple winter gear because we all just looked like snowmen because we were it just frozen and i'm not saying that's the worst or the coldest but it just pops out matt as uh one thing where yeah 
I don't recall running a ton because the race normally at Portland is run in much warmer, happier, nicer, summerish type uh, settings. And there really aren't many races I can think of where you go, oh, it's always going to be freezing cold there. So we made the effort, drove up, got there, and I think we all drove. I don't think anybody flew. So yeah, 12-hour drive north, get there, and find out that, oh, this was a waste of time. But since we came this far, we want to at least try and do something. And yeah, we didn't do a whole lot of running before everyone agreed this is dumb. <laughs> Let's put everything away and do a better job of tracking the weather of where we're going, not where we're at, but where we're going uh, to see if it really and truly is worth making the effort. Um, so IndyCar practice has already started. Uh, I've had to take about three or four different phone calls. So that's why uh, we've gotten into practice already. And those have, I'm going to have to delete those here, but let me try and get through a couple more before I have to say farewell. Uh, Kevin DeVries says, trying to improve my hashtag sponginess of IndyCar knowledge. When teams are putting in or taking out turns uh, on the hashtag front nose, uh, what is that actually doing to the wing? Are there linkages uh, that are physically changing the angles of the wing elements? Does putting different angles on the left or right side offer an advantage or disadvantage? Well, yes, this is exactly what it is. This is a thread and screw scenario sorry try not to do too much adult talk here but yeah this is exactly what's going on here kevin where twisting the screw there is a threaded housing connected to uh the front wing or wings depending on whether we're talking speedway or road course and yes by twisting it in one direction clockwise you will increase wing angle, and by twisting that thread counterclockwise, you will reduce wing angle and reduce downforce. So, yeah, that is uh, very much exactly what's happening on the hashtag front nose. And different angles, left and right side, I don't believe that is allowed with what we're talking on speedway stuff. I believe there's just a single uh, adjuster that does moves the entire front wing uh, main plane. As for road course, we look at the elements, the stack, the array on the outside of the main planes. Those are indeed adjusted individually. And depending on the circuit's tendencies, if it has a lot of turns in one direction and not the other, you could indeed see a call to add more on one side than the other. But it's not uncommon to see matching adjustments on both sides. Uh, da, 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 da. uh, Matt Schilling is curious about my home viewing setup. Assume NBC, whatever NBC center gold is your main screen. You're also listening to the IndyCar network or live timing and scoring. And are you hand writing your notes? Or are you typing away on another device? All best to you and Mrs. Pruitt. Uh, yes. On NBC television and or gold, uh, watch this either on the couch or like right now, uh, have practice going, on my laptop when we're talking about race reporting um i tend to listen to the broadcast i uh, haven't listened to indycar radio in a little while nothing negative said there just uh only so many alternate inputs i can manage at the same time so we'll tend to watch and use whatever the main feed is coming with that broadcast in terms of the audio uh we'll have indycar live timing and scoring going We'll have one or two other 
timing and scoring things going as well. Uh, I have a little laptop that I use, not my main work travel laptop, but a crappier one that I use uh, goes with us every time we travel somewhere because I'm usually working while my wife is in the midst of uh, physical therapy or whatever else. And uh, also just use it on the couch to take notes and write whatever report. So yeah, you kind of sort of nailed everything. Handwriting notes, that's not something that I've done in a little while. Uh, where are we going to close the show? Um, what chance do you give champion the championship going to the final weekend of the season? That comes from Daniel Ingleton. I don't know. Uh, if history repeats itself, the championship's over this weekend. Dixon is always good at the Indy Road Course. Joseph Newgarden, not so much. But this has been the year where nothing, nothing normal happens. So I would say that tells me that St. Pete's going to be where it's settled just because, yeah, it's the year of, it's the upside down year. We're living in the upside down for those uh, Stranger Things fans. Um, Silvio Vladucha, I believe. If you put the drivers from IndyCar and F1 to share a car like in sports cars, who would you put together? Uh, I would go Daniel, Ricardo, and Alexander Rossi because I think it would be the closest Hinch and Rossi pairing possible. And, oh, that would be so much fun. Just truly so much fun because I think uh, their personalities are so different uh, but awesome that that would just leave us in stitches uh simon roffey looking next year are there any technical changes to the cars wrote about that this week on monday i believe simon about speedway tests that's coming up and some items that might get thrown in to the forward portion of the floor to create more downforce to improve passing and then our final one final one and i do apologize that i'm not getting to all of your questions here uh would say let's go with our man john ranjow aka john wojnar uh said hey want to say thanks a few weeks ago the idea of a tweet chain connecting other fans together i'd still love to see you guys do more of that of just hey these are some of my favorite people not drivers not teams but fans to connect with or follow and share those and just try and build a greater community of y'all um said thanks for helping to do that so please do more of it says, I've met some really cool people, and we've formed our unofficial wrestling-inspired posse, the Prue Day, baby. This is a uh, baby. Sorry, I mispronounced that. Uh, simulating my favorite WWE tag team, the New Day. My question is, if the New Day throws pancakes at people, what silly food should the Prue Day throw at people? Always praying for you and your wife at this time. Well, that's a pretty obvious one, and it comes in the same shape, and that would be fried pork tenderloin patties. Uh, the official food of Robin Miller. So, yes, that is what would be thrown. I have a feeling that folks would just be lining their faces with mustard and who knows what else to receive those and just snatch them out of the air with their mouths and just start chowing down. So that's my idea, John. It's really bad, much like most of the things that come out of my mouth and my brain. All right, y'all. Thanks again for all your seriously good, fun, and great questions. I'm going to dive into this bizarre Thursday practice, and I'll look forward to speaking to you next week. As soon as I say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets, USA. <laughs>